Welcome to the Academy Podcast, a podcast dedicated to sharing rich content for the purpose of spiritual growth. I'm your host, Shalom Agderak. The Academy creates transformative space for people to connect with God, self, others, and creation for the sake of the world. To learn more about the Academy, visit academy.upperroom.org. We have featured Black women who were spiritual leaders in this forum, but I am particularly grateful for the witness and metaphor that emerge from Regina LaRoche's work. She cultivates food, connections, and community in her work with Diaspora Gardens, Planting Connections, Planting Hope, and the St. Mark Giving Garden. These integrate farming or gardening with art, cultural identity, and celebration and are dedicated to nourishing and healing earth, bodies, spirit, and communal relationships. The emphasis is on communities of color with histories of racialized trauma and land-related violence. Regina invites us to deepen our birthright connections to healthy land, healthy food, empowering traditions and resilience in ways that bring justice and repair to all. These offerings draw on Regina's life of small-scale farming on the edge of Lake Superior, her mother's rural South Carolina upbringing, and her father's Haitian Afro-Caribbean culture. Regina is experienced in the creative dance and story work of interplay, is trained in spiritual direction, is an alum of the two-year Academy for Spiritual Formation, and holds a theater degree from St. Catherine University. You can follow Regina's work and offerings at www.diasporaonmadeline.com. Listen on, dear one, and as you listen, breathe deeply and expand gently. Perhaps you will hear an invitation to not only look into barren places, empty places, even wounded places, but perhaps you might be a part of the healing of those spaces as well. And it was something that both Stephanie Paulsell and Thomas Merton made mention of, that if you really begin to know, if you really begin to see, if you really begin to give attention, you will not only see the glory of the Lord, the glory and beauty of God's body. But as you know, you will also bear witness to the wounds and the pain of God's body. One of the times that I became most aware of my body was when I was growing a child within me. And it stretched me like I wouldn't and couldn't believe until it happened. And I felt the child move and push and have hiccups. I didn't know that happened. (laughs) And then finally it was time for the child to push out. My childbirth educator said, do not think about it as pain. Think about it as strong sensation. (laughs) So I did. And um, 
I kept saying, oh, these are strong sensations. And the child was born. I had to move around carefully and tend my body carefully and tend my baby carefully, but I kept saying, oh, those were strong sensations. And finally, a young woman who was pregnant at the same time and had her baby shortly before I did said, that was not strong sensations, that was pain, and now you have a wound. <laughs> and I'm like, wow. And it was really quite freeing. <laughs> But when that baby was seven days old, I and the man I love and that child walked into our church. And there was a woman there. She was Dutch, and she had been an assistant to Corrie Ten Boom. And she came to me, and she looked at my child. Then she placed her hands on my belly, and she prayed that the empty place would be filled with love. And no one else had mentioned the emptiness. I mean, there was the torn and stretched flesh and cartilage and all of that. Yeah, I could accept that was a wound. But the emptiness was a wound, too. And when I mentioned that to my brother, the doctor, he said, boy, you're going crazy. <laughs> But the weight and the movement and the life. And so that breath, that prayer, that it be filled with love, stayed with me through the birth of my next child. And then as I had a friend in her 70s mourn the loss of her knees and her mobility, I thought, that's an empty place. And so we prayed, can we fill that empty place with love? A and then it just kept going. And as I read, Henry Nouwen was talking about the openings, the wounds being an opportunity for new life and vision. Flora Wollner talked about how the wounds, you need to open them up instead of letting them be covered lightly and dig down deep and do that hard, painful work, not just to heal your body, but to heal the communal body with the racism and the war and what's happening to our planet. And I was thinking about that these last several weeks, these last few months, with wounds that people assumed had been covered over in our society getting torn open again. And I was thinking about that prayer of filling those empty places with love. And then I came to this canyon, and if you just take a first glance at it, it is raw and rough and looks like it has been bloodied, and at some point, streams gushed through and tore the surface and the topsoil off. And for all intents and purposes, it could look like a wound. But everyone I've talked to about this place, and as I've walked it myself, and today watched dragonflies dance, and butterflies who did not know the beauty of their wings, and listened as I knelt in the ashes to the blue jay, and the raven. The canyon became filled with new life and peace. The first peoples wintered here, it was protected.
There are species that grow here that can't grow in neighboring cities because there's a protection here for them. And then people like us gather to be healed, to grow community, to let our wounds be seen. So this canyon gives me hope about wounds and open places being filled. And finally, I think of Thomas standing next to Jesus, saying, I have to see your wounds. And Jesus showing the wounds. And then Thomas saying, I have to put my hands in them. And Thomas putting his hands into the wounds. And then when Thomas took his hands out of the wounds, he was a changed man. He dedicated the rest of his life to spreading the love and the healing of Jesus Christ throughout the world. So when we say saubona to ourselves, to our neighbor, to the world around us, does that mean we're willing to put ourselves into those open, wounded places and come out changed and be the love and the change in it. I think where I ended yesterday was talking about putting ourselves or our hands into the wounds of our bodies, the body of this world. And, um, and how this canyon is an example of even in the wounded places, incredible things can grow. Um, there can be peace and protection and shelter that comes from there. Henry Nouwen was talking about a new life, a new vision that could grow in that. And so um, I had a few examples of wounded places that people are putting their bodies and themselves and their communities into and um, incredible things are happening. And one of those examples is one that is completely unresolved, and the legal battles are going back and forth, and hostilities are rising. But the, the Standing Rock piece, and um, it points to some wounds that are along racial and cultural lines. It points to some wounds that are about how we view our earth and our water. And it, talk, it points to probably any number of other wounds that um, I can't identify. And one of the things that is happening there, though, in that broken place, is that more tribes from North America and even South America are gathering together than have ever happened before. And if you talk to some of the tribal leaders there, you will discover that at least some of those tribes have been at war in the past. And some of them have treaties that they have broken with each other. So they don't gather. There's great tension between them. And because of this, they have gathered together in the same camp and are praying together and acting together. Not everything is, not every group that comes has the same approach to it, but they are gathering. 
Um, my friend Sarah, who actually went and camped there for a while, saw a few things. First of all, that they weren't calling themselves protesters, they were calling themselves protectors. They were calling this a gathering. And what was happening there, she saw ceremony at the birth of children. She saw ceremony at a marriage that took place there. She saw ceremony as they prayed for the land. She saw an extraordinary ceremony where, some tri where a tribe from Canada came down and um, had one of those huge, gigantic birch bark canoes, like we picture with the voyagers. And they paddled up and in their native tongue called out, we are of this nation, this clan, this tribe, this village. May we come ashore. We bring you our greetings. And the people receiving them called back in their own language, we are of this nation, this tribe, this village. Please come. And so they came on shore. And um, there are people that have been interviewed there. Um, one of the chiefs from the Lakota tribe was talking about, I am not a social justice person. I am not an environmentalist. I do not act on racism. I am here because I am one with the earth. And he went on to say, we are going to save the white people the non-native people, because they have forgotten they are one with the earth, and we are the only ones who can stand here right now who remember we are one with the earth and help to restore the earth. And I have a wonderful friend. She's a Quaker friend who works on issues of race in the Twin Cities, and she came up to see me, and she said, we are getting calls from Standing Rock because so many white folks are showing up, and they're telling them what to do and how to do it, and they need us to help and teach sensitivity so that they will um, join our ceremonies and join our prayers. But I thought, what a delightful problem to have that so many people are coming to gather. Um, so this song Sarah created as a result of being there. And the main phrase is, we are praying, come. And it, to me, resonated with the idea of praying for people to step into the wounded places. Um, you will notice some Lakota language in there, and she explains it a little bit lower. But Miniwichoni, water is life. And Mitake Oyasin, which is planted in many places on the island that I'm on, uh, that I live on, means all my relations. And there's a description below about what it means from the Lakota perspective for all of us to be in relation. So I'm going to play the song, and let us begin that way. All my relations come. Every nation come. All my relations under the sun We are one We are praying, come We are praying, come We are the song and we are the drum We are one We are the river, come We are the river, come we 
Thank you for listening to that. I don't pretend 
to know how to solve pipeline issues. I don't pretend to know how to resolve things that um, broke apart over thousands and hundreds and years and decades. But what I did appreciate about this was that people were choosing to gather and people are choosing to pray and people are choosing to invite prayers and to remind us that we are one. I, I wish I could say I knew the answers. Um, and I, and I, a couple of other wounds that I've borne witness to people stepping into. Um, in South Los Angeles, there's a guy named Ron Finley. And um, he is uh, an African-American who likes really cool, snazzy clothes and stuff like that. But he also noticed that in his neighborhood, um, there were drive-by gang, drive-by killings, shootings, there were gang killings, there was a lot of, of death and violence. He also noticed that they had about the highest level of diabetes and heart disease in the country, and he calls those drive-through killings. And what he chose to do in response to that was um, the city had a, a, a little boulevard thing right on the edge of his sidewalk in front of him, so he dug it up and he planted some carrots. The city sued him. Um, for, for putting carrots there, but he sent out petitions and pretty soon a whole bunch of people were responding saying, oh, carrots aren't bad and people who were running by and kids who were playing would pull up a carrot and eat it. And soon they got so many petitions that the city let go of it. But he started this whole movement and he's called a guerrilla movement because he took on the city with these carrots. But. Um, <laughs> where they just started taking over South LA and planting these gardens because they were a food desert and people who were the poorest and lived most at the margins, normally African Americans and many Latinos, um, could not get to good food. And they also then ended up losing the heritage that many of them had come from about growing good food. And one of the things he says is his revolution is about changing the composition of the soil of his community. Because the biological fact is when you put a seed into the ground and that very first root, the radical root, goes down into the soil, it does indeed receive whatever gifts, nourishment, or poisons that are in the soil. But meanwhile, its stem and its leaves that open to the sky, whatever gifts or poisons it receives from the rain and the air, it sends back down into the root and into the soil around it. So there's an exchange going on. And Mr. Finley happens to believe that if they plant good seeds all over South LA, it will transform how people eat, transform people's pride, transform people's health, but it will also transform the actual soil that they live on. There's a guy in Milwaukee, Will Allen, who has this place called Growing Power, and it's a, a three-block little farm right in Milwaukee. And it's, um, he's got goats and chickens and greenhouses, and he started this good food revolution. And again, a very similar thing. It's a city that has some of the biggest disparities and school accomplishment between racial groups. There were lynchings there. There's violence. There's huge segregation there. 
and he's gathering people together around growing their food and sharing it with each other. And he's giving training and employment programs for young people. And, um, and, and he's moving this around the world. Also near Milwaukee is a friend of mine who had Venus Williams. She's a Lutheran minister, and she has what she calls Alice's Garden. And um, she has these gardens in her part of the city, and African-American women come to learn about their heritage and the rhythms of their life. Children of all races and teenagers come and work in the gardens and have reading programs and all kinds of things. And finally, the Lutheran church approached her and said, would you head this up as a Lutheran church just out in your garden? Last I talked to her, she was still pondering that, but uh, wasn't sure she wanted to do the big leap with her gardens. But those are people who put themselves into the wounds and put themselves into the wounds of the needs of the humans around them by getting into the wounds of the soil and the earth. There are many, many, many other examples of people stepping into the wounds of communities, the world, our nation, our churches. And I happen to gravitate towards those that have to do with soil, I'm afraid, par partially because my dad, when we still lived in the city when I was a little girl, used to take us out regularly on Sundays, and we would just drive for hours and go see cows <laughs> or turkeys. And he would tell us how turkeys are so dumb, they'll look up in the sky during a rainstorm and they'll drown. But he would take us to see them anyway. And, um, <laughs> and something caught in that. And the stories of both my parents with the agricultural backgrounds caught in that. And then those, of course, were the teachings that hung on to me. And Deuteronomy tells us that one of the first ways to do justice is getting food to people. It talks about you are commanded to leave food on the grounds when you are harvesting so that the widows and the orphans can come and gather. You are commanded to leave a little bit of fruit on the trees so people can come and feed themselves who do not have the means to do so. I also love this passage in 1 Kings where it talks about Solomon's ruling. It says, Solomon ruled the whole region west of the Euphrates River and he was at peace with all of the countries around him. Everyone living in Israel from the town of Dan in the north to Beersheba in the south was safe as long as Solomon lived. Each family sat undisturbed beneath its own grape vines and fig trees. Each family had their own grape vines and fig trees. They didn't, each family didn't have a plantation. Each family didn't have huge thousand-acre farm, but each family had a small plot enough to keep them fed and share a little bit. And I love that image of shalom and wholeness and health and peace. And so, of course, I was drawn to those examples of stepping into the wound using the soil. Diane Butler Bass writes about soil and some of its theological implications and why the farmer is specially qualified. <laughs> she talked to a farmer who wrote a book and he made a subtle theological distinction between soil and farmer. There were recognizable actors in the scene, living soil and a grateful cultivator. A third participant was invisible, 
the spirit of the land that speaks, the spirit that allows the farmer to hear, the spirit that pulled the farmer to the ground. We flow together, he said. The spirit is with and in the soil and the farmer, a binding power beyond and yet still apart, where two become one. Indeed, this is the mystical marriage of land and human joined in holy union to bring forth fruit entwined by God's love. And Fred Bonson, who she spoke with, who is a founder of a community garden in North Carolina, calls the soil a sacrament. Such holy imagery, and especially sacrament. I think of ordinary and mundane somehow being transformed into life-giving and holy. You might be a water protector affirming water is life. That is sacrament. You might be a protester affirming Brianna, Ahmad, Tyrese, all Black Lives Matter, that is sacrament. You might be a gardener affirming our connection to the land and planting your carrots even when the city doesn't want you to, and that is sacrament. No matter whether or not you have a title as you do these things, let me say thank you. Thank you for doing your own little part to cultivate shalom in your time and your place. Thank you for listening to the cries of the earth and the cries of black men and the cries of scared school children. For truly you are part of making ordinary things holy. May God's shalom God's wide imagination for our collective wholeness and peace. May God's shalom go with you as you move into these wounded places and illuminate the sacred. Share this podcast with others. May it be a nudge, a guide, an honoring of intuitions you've long held and a means for justice in your lives and in the lives of all. To hear more from faculty and wisdom guides like Regina, join us at the next online or in-person Academy retreat. For more information, visit academy.upperroom.org.